Hey, y'all, I'm going to take a second to give a quick shout out to the official mortgage lender of the Hunt with Deep podcast. That's Casey Burns of Prime Lending Mortgage. I've known Casey for 10 years and he's the only lender I use. I've used Casey to purchase two houses and the process has been seamless and easy each time. He's the heart of an educator and he truly cares about what's best for his clients. He specializes in VA loans, but can handle FHA, conventional investment loans as well. He's a true expert and specialist in his field, and there's no one I recommend more than Casey. You can contact Casey at casey.burns at primelending.com. Reach him by phone at 919-710-1864. You can also check out all his reviews at www.closewithcasey.com. Thanks, y'all. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast. I'm running host tonight. It's me, Bobby McCready, and I got a co-host of my new co-host tonight. Casey, what's going on, man? Hey, Bobby. Glad to be here, man. Glad to be helping you out with this. I'm glad you're here, too, because our guest is a familiar voice, and he's just sitting back on the back seat right now, but we got to pry some information out of him. The one and only Carter McKenzie. Wow, what's what up, man? Intro. What an intro, man. Yeah, See, that's really how you do an intro. That was good. That was good. <laughs> great but it was all right no it's nice uh i don't have to uh i don't have to host tonight i don't have to worry about anything and i just get to talk you know you still get to worry about shit but just less shit to worry about maybe i don't know that's right that's right and we got my uh we got my counterpart my partner in crime for the month of september uh my brother from the college i failed out of freshman year Stuart hope recent recent hle team member what's going on Stu? Carter, we've talked about this. You just relocated to a higher education. Higher education <laughs> in the North, North Georgia mountains, for sure. It, it is north of Charleston, so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's higher. I had to beg, borrow, and steal to get back into school, but that's a that's a <laughs> podcast for another time, maybe. Well, I don't know. That sounds pretty good. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, mean, I don't really know what that says about me, considering I was already at that school. <laughs> Well, it sounds like you got something epic coming up. And then I don't think it's we do this often where we talk before you do something epic. And I think this is uh, really cool that we're going to dissect what you guys are about to do. So I don't want to steal any of your thunder. So, Stuart, you want to tell us what you're doing instead of Carter? Sure. So uh, <clears throat> my, my uncles and my dad and I have been out to Hawaii a couple of times to hunt axis deer. And typically the reaction we get, even from experienced hunters, is like, you're going to Hawaii to hunt and hunt for what? So, you know, it's an interesting opportunity. And I brought it up to Carter, who I know is an avid hunter. And, you know, Carter being the go-getter that he was immediately was on board. And over the past couple months, as I've told him more about the trip, what it entails and, and kind of the background on Axis Deer, I think he's gotten more excited and more interested. And we're about three weeks out, Carter. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited. Yeah, man, it's it's all I can think about. Like, it's really cool for a number of different reasons. Like, one of the things that I love about hunting so much is being able to hunt. I like new experiences, right? And not just with hunting, but like in general, I like doing new things for the first time. Like, even if it's hunting or fishing, even if it's like sitting in a different tree stand, like if I can go up and hunt with Casey just like 30 minutes away on a different piece of property, I just like doing new stuff or like fish a different pond, fish a different lake or, you know, or go, go on a long fucking airplane ride across the world and go chase deer on a, on a, 
island like a volcanic island like that sounds like an adventure man so yeah it's it's all i can think about i'm i'm stoked yeah and really like what captivated me the first time i went so to give you guys a little backstory my dad's an avid uh hunter but he's also a budget hunter uh he loves to save a dollar where he can and i think probably 2016 he called me up and said you know i found this opportunity in hawaii we can hunt these things called axis deer it's affordable, you know, the population seems to be strong, and apparently you have a good chance of success. I don't know a thing about it. I've never been to Hawaii, so I started to look into it more, but didn't do too much research. I was a young college kid, and we ended up just going out there, and I mean, to say that I was blown away is an understatement. It was like nothing I've ever experienced, you know. You're hunting on the side of a volcanic island, and you know, none of the islands that I've been to they're not very big mass wise. So typically when you're hunting, you know, you can see the ocean and the other islands, which aesthetically is just, is so pleasing. Not to mention, you know, these things are running rampant. It's the only thing I can really compare it to is, is a big antelope populations in, you know, Midwestern U.S. Yeah, that's wild. So with that being said, I, I gotta ask, like, cause I'm, I'm excited. Like I, I see how you came apart, like with this hunt and everything like that. How are you guys preparing for this? Because I have a million questions about how you're going to do this, how you're going to get things back, what your what your gear is going to be like. Like, I mean, kick us off on like how you're preparing for this actual hunt here. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, Stu's done this hunt a couple times, so at least we have like some boots on the ground experience. Not this exact one, right, Stuart? Like a little bit different. Yeah, so we're going to an island that I've never been to before, but from what I've research similar terrain similar uh you know geography so we have an idea of what we're getting into yeah so one of the biggest things i've been focused on is well both of us have been shooting practicing shooting with our rifles uh we're both zeroed at 200 um which seems to be about the right uh zero for out there um shots could be a little further or a little closer so 200 feels good um, I'm taking the, I'm taking the OT six. What are you bringing still? 270. Bringing the 270. Um, yeah, so we've been shooting. That's been feeling good. Um, both got our, uh, groupings where we want them. And then as far as like gear goes, like luckily a lot of it, a lot of my like Western gear will transfer. Um, but like one thing I've been focusing on is like my, I don't think I had enough hot weather gear for this. And like, I'm a, I'm a sweater. Like I sweat in the shower, dude. I sweat all the time. I'm just like a big, big sweater. And you sweat uh, on podcast. Yeah, dude. I just, I just sweat. I had strep throat, dude. I have, I had 102 degree fever. Of course <laughs> yeah, I was sweating. That's what it was. <laughs> I was like going to pass out during those damn interviews. And, uh, yeah. So I bought, um, I bought some Kuyu gear. Um, they're lightweight, they're hot weather gear. Um, cause I really needed some breathable, breathable gear. Cause you know, Casey can attest to this, like archery season in Georgia. Also <laughs> Casey hunts in Crocs during archery season in Georgia, which is fucking hilarious, <laughs> yeah, but it's so hot. I like, I like won't even go out. Right. It's just, it's just too hot. But so I needed some hot weather gear. Um, so I picked up some, picked up some from Kuyu, um, pants and uh long sleeve shirts that are that are breathable and moisture wicking 
No, I was just going to like attest to that heat that Carter was talking about. So, you know, if you're if you're able to get gear that is going to work in that environment, like you're definitely going to be able to use it here because I recently just went and um, and bought me some new heat gear as well, some Sitka stuff to, you know, go with what I already had. And because that has always been like the worst part about archery season here in Georgia. And as much as I love it and like I graph about it every year, how hot it's going to be and how miserable it's going to be. but still do it so it, you know it definitely is a is a good investment to go ahead and have that have that stuff that you'll be able to use for a long time yeah so that was been that's been my you know largest focus um you know gym fitness point of view has been good uh or full-blown cross-country season so feeling good about hiking and carrying weight and been training and everything like that um in preparation for my montana hunt in november anyway so this is just like an added bonus for that yeah what about you Stu? what are you what are you doing to prepare yeah just trying to get up and down as much as i can uh i think that's the hardest part of this hunt is that you know you start on a plateau but as plentiful as these deer are they just get into those ravines it's a lot like hunting foothills you know in the rockies you aren't go- you're not climbing 2000 feet you know like you're elk hunting but you're going up you're going down they're smart they'll blow you so You've got to be able to move. You've got to be light and you've got to be able to get up and get down quickly. So it is pretty exhausting. And it, I mean, it, it gets hot out there during the day. It's not hot like Georgia, which uh, most of us are based out of, but you know, it cooks out there. You might not realize how much you're sweating, how much water you're losing. So, you know, you just got to be mindful of all that when you're out there. Cause you know, it's a multi-day event. Hey, something to go a little bit. Um, I mean, the, the, the prep of, physically preparing yourself you know both both shooting and um you know your endurance one thing though going clear across the country like that what do the logistics look like for um you know getting your gear out there and um stuff like that because i can remember you know carter and i we we went on a duck hunt in north dakota one time and it seemed like that was a logistical nightmare trying to get everything there and back <laughs> dude it was we did it we it did it a little bit <laughs> That's also that could that could be a story for another podcast, but you know, it just um, seems like going that far. And I, I'm not familiar with what like Hawaii's regulations on stuff are, but what does that look like, Stuart? Well, you know, luckily you probably had similar experience, but you're still inside the U.S., so traveling. You know, we're bringing all our own rifles and things like that. You do feel a little weird walking up with five guys all carrying rifles to the airport, but you know, you've got to have locks on all your weapons. And honestly, getting there is the easy part because we've just got our hunting gear and our weapons. If we're lucky enough to be successful, it's getting that meat back and really getting the 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 skin and the horns back. That's the really hard part. Not only is it logistically difficult, but it's you know it's costly. So we want to figure out how we can pack that meat in, how we can get the whole the horns, basically all the whole set back. Last time, my dad and I, you know, because we're true rednecks, we packed. We brought a bunch of day coolers with us and packed all the meat we could from the three bucks that we killed. Packed them in day coolers, flew with them through, we went through customs. No one said a word, actually. So we'll get into it. But Hawaiians, you know, the real people that live out in Hawaii, access deer are a big part of their life. It's a big part of their culture to hunt, eat it, big source of food for them. So the, uh, the security guard kind of looks at us and he's like, what's in the cooler? God, just a couple of axis deer. Like, oh, great. You guys were successful. Inside our gun cases, we had the horns, the skull plates, 
my dad had caped his axis deer because he had a, a stud of an axis deer. So we're flying with all this back from Hawaii. And we were lucky enough that it all worked out. But like, you know, logistically, it becomes real difficult trying to get back. And, you know, maybe someone who's coming back from a pina colada rich vacation looks at you and they see you've got a gun case and a sack full of meat. Like, what are they doing out here? <laughs> so like you said, is the locals strive for the meat and everything. And they use that as like one of their main meals and things. Does anyone know how the axis deer got on the fucking island and how they're sustaining with that habitat because that is mind-boggling to me oh boy do i have a story for you bobby oh i like stories are you ready carter did his homework uh, i did i did <laughs> good he i can't remember i can't remember what i had for breakfast or like people's birthdays but i can remember in 1868 as a gift <laughs> from india there was a gift of axes given to King of Hawaii, King Kamehameha V, right? And these were given as a gift. And Stuart, you can you can fill in your knowledge that you enlightened me with. But they were given as a gift, and they were viewed as a they were a sacred animal, right, Stu? Mm-hmm. Yeah, given as a gift, and they were introduced to the island of Molokai first, which is where we're going to be hunting. Correct. Those, so, uh, yeah, introduced to the island of Molokai in 1868, um, where they, uh, that was the first island, and then they slowly spread over the next century to the other islands as well, um, unsurprisingly. And as most people should very well know, there's no natural predators for these deer on these Hawaiian islands. Um, therefore, their population was able to explode, right? Yeah, and it turns out these deer are delicious, right? So, like... The locals live off them and thrive off them, um, but they've been able to explode unchecked, unchallenged across these islands. And so kind of like tying in from a logistical question, Casey, the Hawaiian Department of Natural Resources is like very friendly with hunters who want to come out and shoot these things. Uh, they make it very easy for you to come out. Whereas like other states that I've dealt with, like in Western hunting, like Montana is a freaking nightmare. They make it so hard for non-residents to understand the regulations there. Um, Carter, how just, quick did you get approved for your out-of-state hunting license? Like, <laughs> dude, I, I sent send and I took a shower and then I was approved, right? Someone in Hawaii was Not like, you're approved, you're coming. Yeah. They need it. It's crazy. Yeah. So they make it, they lower the barrier of entry and they're so friendly working with you. And so from a logistical point of view, they make it very easy. They want people to come out and they, and they want people to shoot these things. So kind of to hit on something you just said, Carter, what's the process like to get a, how do you get a tag for an access deer and a license? So this is the process I know so far and Stuart's been walking me through it. So the first thing you have to do, it's called an exemption form, Stu. Yep. Correct. Yeah. So you have to fill out, you have to apply for an exemption that says like, Hey, I have hunter safety, right? I'm allowed to come hunt in Hawaii. Um, and as soon as they approve you, you're good to hook. And literally they approved me. I did it like in the evening and like before I went to bed, they were like, boom, you're in and you can buy, now you can buy a license. And so that license, the cost of that license is, is what still? I think a hundred dollars. hundred bucks. And what, and what does that entail? Cause this part I don't fully know. If you're hunting on public land, it, it probably varies a little bit by island, but for Lanai and Molokai, which are the two, 
There's some smaller Hawaiian islands that you might be able to include, but basically of the main Hawaiian islands, those are the two most sparsely populated. That tab will get you in. You can get two Axis bucks a day, an unlimited amount of does, Mufalon sheep. I think you can get two a day on the Mufalon. On Maui, there's another species of sheep that's out there, a little bit bigger, more like a ram. And there's also turkey that I've never been in Hawaii when the turkey are in season, but I believe that tag also includes turkey. So there's really a plethora of hunting. And, you know, wildlife game and management, they need help containing it. So a little known fact about Hawaii, even though it's a a United States state, is that 75% of the islands are owned by private individuals or companies. And especially that's true for the smaller islands. So most of Lanai and Molokai are owned by individuals. Lanai in particular, I think the whole island is owned by the guy who owns Oracle. So basically you think about it. You know, you're a wealthy individual. You pay to go hunt somewhere. You're not going to waste your time shooting does or small bucks. Like you're only looking for the mature trophy animals. So what that does is that allows these lower level, less mature bucks and the does to continue to flourish. And it leads to a real population problem. So the state is left with trying to manage 25% of the land, but basically 100% of the population. So that's why they have such a an open policy of, you know, we, we want you to obviously be smart about what you're hunting, but we need help controlling this population. Yeah. So that's been really cool just from a hunting perspective. I've hunted a lot of different states and a lot of it is left up to the hunter to figure out. Um, it's not like Colorado is begging people to come hunt elk, right? Um, but here, the Hawaiian DNR is like, please come on in. Here are some suggestions on where you should stay. If you want to hunt a private, if you know, if you want to hunt someone's uh, ranch, like cattle ranch, because those uh, cattle ranchers are some of the individuals who have been hit the hardest um, from these deer uh, as far as like detriment, um, you know, hit these people up, list of landowners. Um, that kind of stuff. So they really lower the barrier of entry to make it happen. But Casey, did you hear that? Two bucks, unlimited those. Oh, I heard. I'm like on my phone booking a flight. Casey, that's that's a day. Per day. What I'm getting, it sounds like, Bobby, that Hawaii is basically the exact opposite of New Jersey when it comes to big game hunting. Oh, yeah. Hawaii is the opposite of everything that has to do with New Jersey. $100 for a tag, you can't get anything for $100 for hunting here. Like, that's insane. Well, I mean, I'm thinking, like, I pay for my sportsman license in Georgia, $65 a year. And, I mean, relatively close to $100, and I can go to Hawaii and kill more than I can kill in Georgia. Yeah, I mean, and it's not an expensive trip. I mean, it is, but it's not for the reasons that you would think, right? Um, I would have written it off as like, oh, there's no way that's a dream hunt. Like, there's no way that's going to happen. But really, the expensive part is just the flight there, right? The rest of it, they make it very affordable. We're staying, or you have stayed, Stuart, with locals, like in their guest house and in their Oh, almost always. And stuff like that. Yeah, yeah they, they usually have... Like back houses, you know, it's a source of income for them, especially on these sparsely populated islands. Like this is a big source of income for the native people. I mean, there's only, I think Lanai has 3,000 people that live there annually. I think Molokai is like 2,500. I mean, really 
small, small islands. So it's good for them. They love hosting people because they see how jacked up we get about the hunting. You know, they've got insights about the animals and typically like we'll just rent a, you know, beat up truck from whoever we're staying from and just, you know, do a little off-roading and maybe we see an axis deer on a ridge and like chase it. It's like, everyone's having a good time. That's like a legit backcountry hunt right there. Staying with locals too. Like I need you to have your GoPro with you and just like document it like you're Steve Renault and you're on meat eaters and you just have your camera crew following you. Yeah. hundred percent. Sounds to me like Hawaii is just like the Island rednecks. So that's yeah. the case. You yeah. hit the nail on the head, especially when you get off the, the bigger islands. Like, listen, there are people like, if they knew this podcast was out there, they'd be listening to it. But they've got, I mean, it's hard to describe like how many axis deer they shoot in a, in a season. I mean, some of the, the people that really hunt out there, I mean, they've got like 100, 200 sets of class A. So axis deer, if it's from base to the highest point on the brow tines, 36 inches, that's what you consider like a trophy axis deer. I mean, they might have 20, 30. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, just an abundance of resources. And Stuart sent me this article today uh, from the Maui News, which has got to be the only newspaper on the island. And uh, it says aerial assessment shows deer overpopulation on Molokai. And these pictures in the article are insane. I mean, it looks like a trail. It looks like drone footage and there's like a trail of ants across the landscape. And it's just herds of these deer. And the article talks about how overpopulated it is with deer and how they trample plants. They eat like they outcompete all the cattle that the farmers and ranchers are trying to uh, grow and raise on these islands. They spread invasive weeds. Um, and so it's really become like a serious. And so, I mean, it's a depredation tag, right? It's like, you know, just like any farmer would have for their for their livestock or crops. Exactly. And, and what's interesting about axis deer. So. Comparable to a species that most people have seen, you know, most people have never heard of an axis deer. You look them up, they're beautiful. Fur like a, like a baby fawn on a whitetail, but they're similar in size to uh, antelope or gazelle. But, you know, a gazelle, there's typically only one male for every maybe like 100 female, but they don't travel in, in packs. But axis deer aren't like that. They're, they're big herd animals. So it's not uncommon to see 10, 20 males together and at least three or four like stud shooters you know they're very social they move together so it creates a lot of opportunity as well that's wild man so on like the opportunity and like what is i know like whenever i apply for you know western hunt tags and stuff it'll tell you like you know the success rate and stuff like that like what what kind of numbers are are associated with axis deer? Because the way it sounds like, you know, the opportunity sounds pretty high. That's a great question. I think it really depends on what you're hunting with. So bow and arrow is, it's tough. Even a crossbow, you know, they're, so one thing about axis deer, and if anyone's listening doesn't believe me, go and watch a YouTube video of an axis deer making noises it's like an elk and a dog mixed together. So they've got a couple tiers of, of sounds. If they're nervous, they'll blow you, but not just you. I mean, they're real loud. You can hear it from a quarter mile away. If they are curious, they'll make another sound. So they've got about three or four pitches and they're loud, real 
it's a finite sound. It's it's real uh, direct, but I mean you can hear them, and they'll talk to each other. The brush is relatively low, so typically you can see their heads, and they'll pop up and they'll blow at each other and they'll talk. I mean it's they're the most vocal animal that I've ever hunted, no doubt. So with a bow and arrow, it, it's really tough. And as Carter mentioned. They evolved out of India, and their primary predator over there was tigers. So they have real quick, fast twitch reflexes. And, you know, I'm by no means a, a good bow hunter, but really good bow hunters talk about if they get a shot off at an axis deer, the axis deer, much like a seal with a great white shark, it'll move before it gets hit. So it'll hear that bow string, and they'll jump. So I've been over there twice bow hunting both times with three people, only one of us got one shot off that was successful in two trips. On the flip side of that, I've been there rifle hunting one time with one other person, and we tagged out every single day. So I think your success <laughs> with rifles is a lot more likely, just your distance, your terrain, all the factors are in your favor with the rifle, but it's tough with the bow and arrow. And if you, you know, you're not prepared, like if you haven't done your homework with a bow and arrow, you'll never get one. So your boy's bringing a rifle. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, both of you. 100%. No. <laughs> All of us. And I thought you said it was unlimited. You said it was unlimited, though? Yes. It, again, it depends the... on the island and where you are, but yes. So what do you guys plan on? Let's say you're successful day one. Do you plan on going again day two and three and continuing on and bringing multiple back? Or you guys plan on? What's your game plan there? I haven't thought that far ahead. That's a yeah, great question. <laughs> Car's going to be shooting like Rambo out there, just coming back with 30 or something. I, I know I can't afford to go. I might be sending you Venmo requests to help me get my yeah. meat back. <laughs> you just get all the back straps that you can get and then figure out how to get right. home later. That's kind of what I feel like. Like I feel like, you know, Casey will eat some. Like People will want it, you know? Hell yeah. Yeah. My Venmo is so, open. Yeah, I might go like... I actually, maybe I should cut that out. I don't, I don't think that's legal. I'll pay for it all. Right. <laughs> right. But I might go scorched earth policy. I don't know. I don't know. They're so cool. You can't like, I'm obsessed with antelope too. Cause you can't, you know, we don't have them in Georgia, even though like people in Wyoming think they're like pests, but like, I think they're so cool. Cause we don't have them. And Hawaii's yeah. like not, not close. <laughs> yeah. No. Might as well get them, I guess. So I don't know what would be reasonable still. I mean, I, truly from a management perspective, you couldn't kill enough if you tried. And I don't, right. I mean, there's, you know, you really could, but I think you go for the big one. It takes you a minute to gauge what a real trophy axis deer looks like. I've never shot one myself. You try for that. You know, if you feel like you've gotten a good one, I think you try for another one. And then, you know, you, you talk to locals and you say, hey, do you need some meat? Sure. We take some more in our freezer and you start shooting does. Oh, that's cool. I didn't yeah, know that was part of idea. it, too. I like oh, that. Oh, yeah. I mean, they love it. And a lot of times what we'll do is, like, we'll trade meat, so we'll get there. Hey, give us some Axis deer, because it's it's so good. It's like elk, but a little less sweet, a little less chewy. And, you know, they say, hey, I'll give you some now, but, you know, make sure you give me some of your kill. So it's it's nice. It's a good ebb and flow. Are we going to have a freezer? We do have oh, a freezer. about that either, huh? <laughs> we will? <laughs> Yeah, we do. Okay, cool. That's good. 
Carter's bringing his own ice from Georgia. <laughs> It'd be like our North Dakota Walmart trip all over again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, quick, quick side story. Casey and I killed way too many ducks and geese in North Dakota, and we didn't have a plane to get them back home. So we had to go buy a <laughs> buy a cooler at Walmart at like one a.m. and it was so full we had to buy a, a pack of packing tape to force it yeah. closed and tape the whole damn thing closed and, and we wrote, checked it is just luggage didn't we just write meat in a sharpie on the t- <laughs> we were also hammered in this in this walmart when we were buying it drove hung over a shit back to minnesota i don't know why we flew to minnesota and then drove to north dakota because we were bad. about five minutes out of college and had like zero dollars dollars yeah. to our name <laughs> And it was like $300 a piece cheaper to fly to Minneapolis because I had a buddy <laughs> that was a manager for Enterprise, so I could get a rental car really cheap. So we flew to Minneapolis and took that crappy little rental car That's up right. to North Dakota where there was 17 feet of snow and we were in like a Ford Fusion hybrid. <laughs> we were whipping it. It was great. So you didn't learn from any of that. And now you're just going to Hawaii now. As right. sounds like just with the same kind of plan and mindset right now. Yeah, like it's I said, man, I got a yeah. bad memory, but I can tell you also in 1868. You ready for this? <laughs> That's the year Andrew Johnson was impeached, and yeah. the 14th Amendment was passed. You're welcome. See, why do I know that? Useless, useless. You're like Snapple facts. Just That's useless right. shit that we don't need to know about. But yet you got right. a packing tape with you on your Hawaii trip. That's right, man. But yeah, something something new I am taking on this trip. Uh, you know, Casey, it's convenient that you're on here. I was going to ask if I could borrow your GoPro. Um, something I am <laughs> taking for the first time is uh, my I got a spotting scope. So I never I've never used a spotting scope on a hunt before, and I, I got it for my uh, Montana hunt later in November. And so I'm going to bring it and practice. I got a phone scope attachment and practice trying to get some footage of these things. Cause I feel like this is kind of the perfect opportunity to, to work the kinks out on how to use it because there's so many animals out there. I kind of feel like I don't want to be overconfident, but I kind of feel like it's a great opportunity to, to practice getting footage on, on all these things. Well, Casey, will you let him borrow your GoPro now that he asked yeah. you? <laughs> hey, he, he's used it before. He just never brings footage back. I've, I, oh, never un- I never unpacked it. <laughs> Because you and Spencer took it to Wyoming on the first antelope trip, right? Yeah, and I was too cold to use it, so I just left it packed. Yes, absolutely. You can use my GoPro. Thanks, man. And I hope you have better luck with a spotting scope than I did. Yeah. Carter and I did agree that content is is crucial for this trip. Crucial. 100%. Yeah. It's just so different. Yeah, everything about it's going to be different. It's not. I, I feel like the terrain's completely different. The, like you said, you're using the same kind of gear, but it's just to me, I feel like the temperature is going to vary so differently, and you're gonna you're gonna be sweating your ass off, and you're gonna be, you know, changing it up as you go, just like every other hunting plan. You 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 have a rock solid plan, and then one thing goes wrong, and then you're you're in a cornfield making a left around every little little thing, and now you're fucking in the middle of nowhere. So that's what's sure. what's my hunts go with. And uh, the cool thing about it being so, like, when it gets hot during the day and the deer bed down, uh, we get to go snorkeling and, and spearfishing because it's right there on the on the ocean, which is pretty cool. And it's lobster season while we're out there. 
And it's lobster season, boys. Jesus, man. You better so bring an extra this. couple coolers. We're uh, So we're staying at a place right on uh, the northwest side of the yeah. island. It's a 10-minute drive to where we hunt. You only hunt really in the morning and the afternoon. Midday, they bed down because it's so hot. So middle of the day, you know, we scoot back to the beach, maybe see if we can catch a lobster or two. It's tough life. Yeah, I really hate this for y'all. It sounds yeah, fun. seriously, it's be a miserable trip. Someone's got to do it, boys. And I hate, we hate to be. We the feel one. so bad for you. <laughs> hey, if it yeah, pans I, out, I feel horrible for you. If it <laughs> yeah. pans out, maybe maybe Casey and Bobby get to go next time. I don't know. There's got to be some kind of law in New Jersey that forbids me to hunt in Hawaii. There's got to be some kind of gray area. Like you can't go here and do this kind of fun shit. <laughs> Yeah, for sure, man. What uh, what else do we got that, that we need to know about the planning, Stu? I think we've covered most of it. You know, get out there, have a good time. The uh, Shoot some deer. Yeah, shoot some deer. I don't know. I think we've covered So how many days are y'all actually hunting? That's a good question. I don't know. Three days. <laughs> Carter's not the mod about <laughs> this trip right now. <laughs> Dude, thank God you're here, Stu, man. You're his, definitely his tour guide for, for God's sakes. He's already lost. And How many days are we, honey? Three days. Well, Bobby, Three part days. of me is worried. I mean, I've had just an unbelievable amount of joy going out there, even if I never shot something. I mean, it's just the best. And we've got a good group of guys going, which you know makes all the difference. But on the off chance the Axis deer are onto us, Carter's going to just think I'm full of it. <laughs> yeah. me all the way out here. <laughs> well it doesn't help we've been watching youtube videos and every single hunter says the same thing like oh, I've, sh- I've shot three my first day <laughs> like they're just oh man you gotta He's manage building up the suspense gotta manage expectations gotta manage expectations. now we do we are taking a, a float plane at some point right I, we're jumpers. flying into the we're flying into the big island and then yeah, so How we, we get fly to the into Little Maui, Island, and uh, we're, then we fly to Molokai. The plane's so small; I think there's nine people in our group that we can't get everyone on one plane. Okay. Yeah, Ooh. I didn't know about that. See, Stuart planned all this. He booked all my shit. Yeah, everybody needs to stew. Carter's a big yeah. picture guy. I'm more of the details. Yeah. <laughs> Stu, if you need help planning next year, just let me know. You know, I can help you plan it, and I'll, I'll work really hard on it. We'll bring Bobby's camper next time. Yeah, and a banana boat. I'll just go from L.A. to Hawaii <laughs> on a banana boat. I don't see anything that could go wrong there. I'll road trip it with you, Bobby. Just got to catch a good wave. Just swing, swing down and pick us up on the yeah. way. Well, this definitely sounds like an interesting time and an interesting hunt that you guys are going to be embarking on here. And I'm really excited to uh, see some video and footage of it and and everything like that yeah heck yeah i'm stoked to experience it it's like i said it's new way to hunt new 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 species new landscape new everything um so it should be an adventure and it's been awesome that Stuart and i got to reconnect after so many years like we haven't we were really close freshman year of college and we stayed in contact but haven't really seen each other in many many years just because of life and now with him being back in georgia being able to reconnect and hunting last season up here in North Georgia. And now this being able to happen, it's kind of full circle and him joining us over here on, on the hot lift to eat team. It's just, 
life is good, you know, life works out. Yeah. Well, Carter, back then, like our mutual connection was like in light beer, but uh, now we've, <laughs> we've realized we have a little bit more depth and, you know, we're, you know, we're passionate about hunting and not just that, but like getting out there and exploring, which I think is the coolest part of this. It's not only is it a great hunt, but it's just a, a good time to get out of your comfort zone and like explore and just do something you've never done before. And you're still in the U.S., so, you know, legally, you're a little bit less at risk than you would be elsewhere. Yeah. How much of a pain in the ass could it be? It can't be that bad. Agree. Did you know in 1868? No, I'm just kidding. Here we go. <laughs> Come on, give me something. Give me something. <laughs> Do we want a fun Molokai fact before we end this podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hit me with Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So the reason that Molokai is... So I think by area it's the fourth largest hawaiian island i think there's not they consider there's nine actual islands there's obviously more than that but it's the most sparsely populated of all of them because it was the leper colony so if you had leprosy back in the day when hawaiian islands you know were governed by the hawaiian people if you had leprosy they would ship you off to molokai and then in the 1900s i think he was an italian priest came over to Molokai, helped cure the leprosy, but the stigma never really left the island. So, I mean, there's almost no one there for how big it is. And it's got the highest sea cliffs in the world. So you can stand out on the cliffs and there's a 4,000 foot drop to the ocean. Dude, I am That's super scared insane. of heights. Everyone <laughs> listening, look at the photos of the sea cliffs. It's insane. Also, leprosy. Not only am I scared of heights, but leprosy sounds like a bummer. I don't really want that. Yeah, that wouldn't be fun. I think that's, you know, 1920-esque, so we should be. In the past? It's in 1868. 1868 is a good year. Wyoming was made a uh, U.S. territory that year, so you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> this better be called the 1868 podcast. <laughs> My biggest takeaway from this podcast, though, is I'm going to go convince my wife that we're going on a Hawaiian vacation, and she's going to get all super excited about it, and then we're going to get there, and I'm just going to disappear up into the mountains and just go shoot axis deer all day, every day, yeah, because next you can time, do that there, apparently. Yeah, next It time sounds like everybody lady. wins in that scenario, though. Yeah. yeah. That's a style of hunting that was that was made for me, just, just shoot them all. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love that. You know, something I forgot to ask is, how many miles are you all going to be trekking in the morning? I'm no, not right. asking you, Carter, so I know you yeah. have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Stuart, this one's for you. So, yeah. I mean, it varies so much, but probably like three to five each time you hunt, so maybe 10 to 12 a day. And that's like mountain terrain and everything, like uphill. That's that's a that's going to be a little bit of a doozy on you. It's a workout. And Carter and I, we made a deal. Anything I shoot, he carries. Anything he shoots, I carry. So we'll see. <laughs> that's right. a great deal. I'm in. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm super excited, Phil. Yeah, when we get back, we'll have to give a full report and rundown with you guys. Yeah, Looking so forward to it. We're, we're on the 7th now, so you got a couple weeks before you pack up. So we got to unpack this like the day you land. And uh, we better be seeing a lot of pictures of successful hunts, and and I want to see coolers duct tape shut. Yeah, fingers crossed, man. Fingers crossed. 
Well, that's awesome, guys. I, I'm stoked for you. I think this is going to be a, uh, an epic hunt. Like you said, once in a lifetime opportunity. And it, it sounded from what we've learned and what we've heard, like it seems like a dream hunt that everybody wants to do. And you made it sound like it's more affordable, easier to a, approach than, you know, than some of us actually thought about. And I think a lot of our listeners are going to resonate with that and kind of really take away a lot of these facts and say, hey, listen, man, it, it I could actually do this. This might be something that's in my budget next year. And especially with a hundred dollar tag and you've got all those species of animals that you can do. So any, uh, closing thoughts from, uh, any of you guys and before well wishes before we send you off on your hunt. I think just the biggest thing I've noticed, you know, when you're, we're talking about these, these once in a lifetime hunts or, you know, for us over here in Georgia and, and New Jersey, you know, the the hunting opportunities out west and in hawaii now you know we always look at the point system you know where can i you know attain these preference points and priority points to give myself the best opportunity to go you know have it have an awesome experience somewhere hunting something and you know it sounds like you can kind of just spur the moment like hey let's go to hawaii and so i mean that's really cool about how how hawaii is managing that to where it is is making it possible for people to, you know, truly go to a, you know, a destination that's, you know, everybody dreams about getting to go on a vacation to Hawaii, but, you know, getting to go there and enjoy something that, that we're all obviously so, so passionate about. Um, so it's really cool on them to, um, you know, you know, take a lot of the barrier to entry out of it to where, to where we can go enjoy that. Yeah. Casey, yeah, right and to on. your point, one thing we didn't talk about is the hunting season. There's obviously certain months where it's not as good, but I've been there in May. I've been there in September. I've been there in October, and it's all about the same. So you've got a lot more flexibility on time of year. It's not like you have to catch these these animals in the rut to be successful. And I think that does add a, a whole other dynamic. I think you hit the nail on the head of like feasibility. You know, it's a lot easier to get out there and be successful than maybe elsewhere, and, and there might be less competition as well. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, I love all that. Uh, you know, I, I'll just say, like, you know, I'm 29. I'm going to be 30 in February. I'm not, like, I'm not rich by any means, but go on the trip, man. That's, like, that's my advice. Just go on the trip, right? Go do things with your friends. Go do new things. Go try new hunts. Like, figure it out, man. Um, that's my advice. Don't Don't sit around and, you know, you got people who – people sitting on max points in Colorado who have like 26 points and like, yeah, you might have a phenomenal hunt, but like I'd rather hunt more often and in more places than sit around for 26 years waiting for the hunt of a lifetime or, you know, I'm the strongest and fittest I'll ever be right now. Right. And you know, why not go chase some wild Indian deer on a Hawaiian volcanic Island with one of my buddies <laughs> You know, like that sounds like an adventure, right? So like go on the trip, like figure it out, go do it. Yeah, Right on. That's great, man. It, that is something that I a hundred percent agree with you on that one. That is great right there. Well, that's awesome guys. Uh, I, I feel like we're going to definitely unpack this as soon as you guys get back and it's going to be a great one to really listen. And we hope you do best of luck on this trip. And as always, we appreciate the hell out of you listeners and Go follow the Hunt, Lift, Eat official page, uh, Instagram, the new Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast page, and leave us a five-star review. We don't we don't want any of your money to 
take away from your hunt that you can go on like this Hawaii one. So just leave us that five star review. It's completely free. So <laughs> do that for us and uh, we'll see you guys later. Thank you. Thanks guys.